to you by Chemistry. Hi everyone and welcome to Brought to You by Chemistry. What's brought to you by Chemistry, I hear you ask? Complicated reactions? Complicated exams? Even more complicated romances? Yes, but in this case it's also a podcast series from the Royal Society of Chemistry, so you see the branding there. My name is Dr. Alex Lathbridge and we're fully charged because in this series we are taking a look at batteries, bringing together experts from inside and outside the world of chemistry to help us understand the ins and outs, the positive and negative, the ups and downs of all things batteries. So, uh, I am going to start with the very difficult question. Could I please get you to introduce yourselves? Um, And I'm going to start with you, Jyoti. Okay, so my name is Jyoti Ahuja. I'm a research fellow at the University of Birmingham Law School. And my research focuses on sort of how do we regulate science and technology to achieve sustainability? Uh, So I've worked for a number of years on the Faraday Institution Relip Project, where we looked particularly at EV batteries. How do we regulate, um, you know, EV batteries to develop a circular economy? Um, I'm now sort of taking that research back a little bit to the root. I'm working on something called the Metfotech project. And what I'm looking at now is um, how are we going to source and supply all of the critical material that goes into making those EV batteries and lots of other products? And how are we going to make sure that we continue to have supplies of this stuff that we need to go green? Um, now you've seen it done, Rob. Can I please get you to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rob Somerville. I'm a Faraday Institution Research Fellow at the University of Birmingham. Uh, I'm working on the Relib project, looking at physical processing techniques in the recycling of lithium-ion batteries. So, uh, Jyoti, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, very briefly, because I'm going to ask you again later, but very briefly, could you break down, what is it that you do? What do I do? I... Uh basically look at the regulation of science and technology. So I'm a legal researcher, essentially. And what I do is uh, work on how do we regulate science and technology to be sustainable, to achieve sustainability and circular economy goals. Um, So I started by working on EV batteries. That was my first project. Uh, And I looked at how do we develop, um, you know, the legal structures needed to bring EV batteries into a sustainable chain. Um, I now work on the building blocks of those batteries. I now look at the technology metals, the nickel, the cobalt, the lithium that we need to manufacture these batteries. Um, and how are we going to continue to get an ongoing supply? Oh, wow. So you're properly going in like in depth there. That's right. That's right. So we're going back to the roots in a way, um, you know, to the building blocks of all these materials that we're going to need for the green technologies that will shape a more sustainable future. So going back to basics and back to the building blocks, Rob, could you please very briefly tell us what is it that you do? Uh, So I'm looking at how we can separate out the various components in lithium-ion batteries so that the uh, more cost-intensive and energy-intensive recycling processes such as hydrometallurgy can get a cleaner feedstock of materials so that their processes can be uh, more cost-effective, less energy-intensive, and generally better. In an ideal world, uh, the physical separation processes would be so amazing that we could directly reincorporate the active materials from an old lithium-ion battery into a new one. But that would rely on the uh, crystal structure of the battery to still be intact, 
which is not necessarily the case for a battery that's had a long hard life. I mean, I mean, when you say I feel like I'm going into too much had, detail here, you, I mean, you don't have to, but you said oh, a battery that's had a long hard life, like this yes. battery has been, uh, you know, going to a job day to day, had to pay taxes, you know, had to deal with landlords, like a battery that's really had a, <laughs> a difficult life experience. I, uh, I like that. There are there's a lot of production scrap, which has not had a long hard life. It will have been rejected during the manufacturing process because they didn't like one small aspect of it. They they found that it maybe had a wrinkle or a crease or some kind of uh, short circuit or something. So it was rejected before it even left the factory. These batteries will not have been cycled. So the active material will still be in a wonderful, pristine condition. Uh, and this represents, it varies depending on the manufacturer, but some may be up to 20% uh, 20% of the material that's produced is rejected. Uh, so this is the sort of material that would be very well suited for a direct recycling approach, which is where it doesn't go through a hydrogen metallurgical process to break it down into the individual metals. Um, and you could just reincorporate the active material back into a cell. We're going to come back to that in a, don't worry, you can't get all your battery juice out right now. Uh, because this does lead me on to uh, a question for Jyoti. Like, when it comes to recycling, um, I mean, what for you are like the big questions that you sort of ask and try to answer in your research? Because the stuff that you do is really, really broad. Uh, so, yeah. So when it comes to recycling, I'll talk about batteries because that's a, a sort of good example of the problems that we face with recycling. Right. So lithium ion batteries um, are obviously the batteries that are being used to power the new technology for cars, electric cars. We didn't have these batteries in the cars that we've used traditionally until now, the petrol and diesel cars. Um, we have had lithium ion batteries around for some time. They, they, you know, they used to power our smartphones, they used to power our laptops, but the size and volume of battery that you're going to need to power an EV is huge and enormous. Um, Recycling these lithium-ion batteries is really challenging. That you know, it's it's the kind of work that people like Rob do, but it's really challenging for many reasons because it's very different from the traditional batteries that we used in in you know in the um, traditional automotives. Um, so, the lithium-ion batteries used in electric cars—they're not standardized. They come in a whole variety of designs, a whole variety of different chemistries. Um, and so you can't really sort them very easily to be recycled because different chemistries need different recycling processes. Um, the technology itself is still in development for recycling these batteries, and that's what people like Rob are working on. Um, our biggest problem in the UK is that we don't have the infrastructure needed to recycle lithium-ion batteries. So at the moment, we've only had to deal with small volumes of these batteries from very small devices. We've tended to deal with this mostly by exporting these batteries out to other countries to be recycled. But once you know enough numbers of EV batteries, big, large, enormous EV batteries start to get older and they start to come off the cars, we're going to have a much bigger problem on our hands. We're going to find it very hard to transport them. Firstly, they're very unsafe and hazardous to transport and move around. They could blow up at any point, they could explode, they could release all kinds of toxic gases. So we have to build our own recycling infrastructure very quickly. Um, but then there are economic problems with that because it's, it's a sort of chicken and egg. 
in order to build a recycling plant, I need a feedstock of batteries coming in, a good large number of feedstock to make it profitable. But the batteries haven't started to age yet in, in sufficient numbers. So who's going to want to be interested in recycling them or setting up a recycling plant when there isn't enough stuff to recycle? Ah, okay. That makes That's actually really interesting. So what you're saying is, like, you know that in the future, this is going to be super necessary. But right now, it's like you're trying to go to businesses and be like, hey, 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 right now, you're not going to make a profit. All right. And I know there's no economic interest for you to do it right now. But trust me, just pay a lot of money now and, you know, keep your business going somehow. And then in the future, you're going to make money. That's Absolutely. that's roughly. I Absolutely. Mean, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Pretty much. So and how are you going to convince somebody to put loads of money up front? with nothing coming back for a little while and just promises of something possibly coming back in the future. Oh, wow. Okay. So that from a sort of real world infrastructure, I I get, and I sort of depressingly, I kind of understand that. I'd like um, to interject. Yes. Oh, thank you. There this have is been exactly a couple of for. announcements. Veolia have announced a recycling plant in the West Midlands. I think they said it should be opening in autumn can't remember which year, it might be next year or this year. Uh, I assume that's going to be a copy and paste of um, what their existing process in, I think, France. Uh, Glencore have also announced a recycling facility on the south coast, and they're collaborating with British Vault. British Vault, I think. Yeah. Yes, and I believe they're going to be shipping the materials by boat uh, around uh, across the um, east coast of the UK. So, so people are starting, but yeah, as as Jyoti said, currently there isn't a large scale facility in the UK, and it would be really neat if there was. Okay. There are also a few uh, SMEs that are looking at tackling the problem, small to medium enterprises. So these are companies which might already be taking in batteries. Um, currently, there's a lot of companies which take in batteries, sort them, package them, and export them to recyclers in the EU. Um, that was working fine, but now we've got Brexit, that's less fine. It's also very expensive to transport batteries because uh, they require some very robust packaging uh, in order to make sure that they don't, ha in, in order to make sure that you don't have an impromptu barbecue in transit. Um, there so are... Basically, you're saying it's, it's very difficult to do so they don't explode. It's perfectly feasible to do so they don't explode. It's just very expensive. You need to make sure that your packaging can stop a fire from propagating a lot. And depending on how um, how damaged the cells are, if it's a if it's a very large pack and it's been in a car crash, you're going to have some very expensive packaging required to make sure that it doesn't reignite or doesn't catch fire or reignite in in transit. Um, but if it's just um, production scrap it's probably going to be fine if it's if it's a discharge battery it's probably going to be fine but it's still you can't just stick it in the brown paper bag and stick it in the post it needs to be properly packaged safely packaged and that's expensive especially when you're sending it overseas to be recycled in the eu it would be far better if it were recycled here so we could retain those strategic elements and critical materials that we cannot source locally i mean as soon as you said sort of brown paper bag and then uh, economically feasible i saw josie's face just sort of go oh no <laughs> these things are very difficult and i've been trying for so long 
So, so the thing is, you know, for, for all that we know in the books, so the law in the books would say that you can't put them in a brown paper bag and transport them. Um, we've known of people who possibly don't know that and have tried to do quite just that. So again, you know, I think the hazards of these batteries aren't well enough known. Um, that's another real challenge that we have with these batteries. I don't think people who do the normal, normal sort of, you know, courier delivering and things know enough about lithium-ion batteries to know that they need special packaging, that, they, that they're classified as hazardous material for transport. Um, so we've heard of some pretty hair-raising incidents. Um, very briefly, do you know, can, are you legally allowed to tell us any hair-raising incidents? Uh, not the specifics, not the specifics, but I'll give you an example, for instance. So, you know, one of the things that people have tried to do with these batteries. So when, when, a, when a lithium ion battery comes off an electric car, you know, when it reaches a point where it can't really power the car, it's still got quite a lot of power in it. Um, you know, because moving an electric car needs uh, loads and loads of power, but there's other things that you can do with say 80% of capacity that's still left in the battery. Um, so people have tried, for example, to put it to, you know, various forms of second use. And, and that's a, a really good way to get lots of value out of the battery. So you might be able to use it, for example, as an energy storage device or, you know, something to back up you know, the grid power systems or whatever. Um, but because people don't know enough about how to do this safely, um, and there isn't enough regulation at the moment in the UK, you know, that, that makes you, that forces you to do it safely. We've heard of people taking these sorts of lithium-ion batteries and installing them, for example, in their house, in, in some very sort of, you know, within the premises, next to a boiler. Um, all sorts of terrible stuff could happen if it blew up. And, the, and many of these are just risks waiting to happen. Oh, good to know. I'm glad you've told me that because in my head, I was like, oh, you know what? That sounds like a really good idea. I'm just going to take a quite a big battery out of an electric car that I don't have and stick it next to my boiler. Yeah, that's a sound. That's a class idea. I'm going to do that. So I'm, I'm, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. I mean, so we're all talking about sort of safety here. I think for the, the, the crux of it, just so I understand and listeners understand, um, I think the question for you, Rob, how does one recycle a battery? safely like what happens there okay so there's three main approaches at the moment there's pyrometallurgy which is where you put the battery into a furnace and melt out the valuable metals there's hydrometallurgy which is where you um shred it sort out the components and only expose the active material to some strong acids and then there's direct recycling which is what people are researching at the moment but is yet to be proven on a large scale so which is the best right so we don't like pyrometallurgy as much because materials such as lithium tend to end up in the slag or the dust phase, and it's not—it's uh, generally not recycled. People have been publishing research about extracting lithium from the slag, but it's not clear on whether or not it's been done on a large scale. Uh, graphite is consumed as a reducing agent. Aluminium is consumed as a reducing agent. Uh, you will not be recovering all of the materials through a pyrometallurgical process, but there is a lot of existing infrastructure which can be used to recycle in this manner. And you can put any old battery into a pyrometallurgical furnace. You can co-process batteries along with some ore. So you've got some cobalt smelters that see uh, lithium-ion batteries as tasty morsels full of cobalt that can help to supplement their cobalt ore supply and uh, increase the cobalt content of their product. That's great for them. They're not battery recyclers, but they are kind of recycling batteries. So yeah, sure, that works. 
new recyclers that are starting up new businesses tend to go with a hydrometallurgical approach. So this is where you will uh, stabilize the battery either by discharging it and then shredding it or by shredding it under an inert atmosphere such as CO2 or argon. Uh, then they will separate out the components, remove the casing, remove the plastics, uh, separate the active material from the copper foil and the aluminium foil, and then dissolve just the active material into very strong acids, and then uh, use some solvent extraction to separate out high purity salts of nickel, cobalt, manganese, and they'll also be recycling the lithium ideally as well. So for direct recycling, instead of dissolving the materials in acid, they will reincorporate the high purity active material straight back into a cell, maybe with a little bit of relithiation to uh, put back in a little bit of lithium that was lost in the process. Hydrometallurgy is the best available technology at the moment because uh, it is suitable for production scrap as well as cells which have had a long hard life on the road. Direct recycling would be ideal for production scrap but isn't yet proven on a large scale. And pyrometallurgy is uh, a well-established approach that, and there's a lot of capacity to pyrometallurgically recycle materials, but it's very energy intensive, it's very carbon intensive, and it doesn't recycle all the materials. I mean, wow. I mean, wow, that's, those are lots of different ways. I'm glad that you know one of the methods you mentioned is essentially um, put the battery in a shredder in an environment and pray that it does not explode so i like that i'm 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 breaking down your research into something that's very simple and potentially wrong but you know very briefly you've you've sort of laid it all out there what are you specifically working on when it comes to batteries just very briefly so i'm looking at um improving the separation processes that come between the uh shredded material and the hydrometallurgical processes so for this, you've got some very low density, non-conductive plastic in the separator. You've got some uh, pouch materials, which is the same sort of material you might get in your coffee bags, or you've got some hard um, steel shells, like you might get in a cylindrical battery. Uh, and you want to remove these so that you have a mixture of uh, aluminium uh, with your active material and copper with your um, graphite. Uh, so then you want to separate out these active materials from your foils and get them at such uh, as high a purity as possible. When the active material is dissolved in these strong acids, the aluminium will not be uh, recycled and it will be a it will be a, a wasted material. If you can try and keep as much of the aluminium in its metallic form as possible so that it doesn't get dissolved in strong acids, you can save an awful lot of the embedded energy and the embedded carbon cost that was used in producing this metallic aluminium. It takes about nine times as much energy to uh, make aluminium out of bauxite as it does aluminium out of old aluminium. You've told me a lot of science here, a lot of chemistry here. There's a lot going on in terms of recycling. So obviously we're advancing in terms of recycling, but put, putting it into the real world context, Jyoti, if all of this is happening, all of this advancement in our ability to do it, why isn't it happening? You mentioned sort of economic factors, but are there other challenges like legal or, or you know, what have you? Why isn't this a thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, you have people like Rob and, you know, other scientists like him doing all this great work, trying to recover the useful stuff from the battery that we really need. The problem is recycling costs money, right? It doesn't come cheap. It's, it's not devoid of uh, significant cost. 
Um, now, at the moment, you know, I think for such a long time, we've all worked on a very linear model, a very linear way of looking at, or at production and consumption. Um, so, you know, we've always thought of stuff as being something, you know, you make and you use and you throw away. Um, and that's because we've, and, and we focused always on the, on just the pure money side of things. You know, how much does it cost me to buy a product? How much does it cost me to manufacture it? What does it cost me to throw away? What we haven't perhaps factored in very well, you know, into our equations as a society is uh, what is the environmental cost and what is the social cost of just constantly drawing resources from the earth and chucking them away? Um, and because we don't factor that in into our calculation, it might seem to us that buying virgin material, stuff that hasn't been used before, might actually seem cheaper than buying recycled material, because obviously the recycling is going to add to the cost. So on the face of it, we sometimes think that buying fresh lithium that's just been mined or fresh nickel or fresh cobalt is cheaper on the market than buying recycled metals. But it isn't really, uh, because that's a very short-sighted way of looking at things. Eventually, we're going to run out of this stuff, and then what are we going to do? Um, so, so firstly, we need regulatory and legal models that, that make us include the environmental and social cost of that manufacturing into the market value, so that it doesn't look like virgin material is cheaper than recycled material, um, so that you have a truer picture of what the cost is. So we need better incentives for people to use recycled material. Um, we also need, you know, a, a bit more obligation, a bit, a bit more uh, requirements to be, to be put on to producers to make stuff that's easy and cheaper to recycle. So for example, one of the biggest barriers in recycling, one of the biggest costs of recycling EV batteries is um, the design of the batteries itself, you know, that they can be hugely difficult to take apart. They can be really difficult to get the important uh, critical materials out of them. If batteries were designed better, if people thought about the end of life right at the beginning of the product and designed a battery to be easier to disassemble and easier to recycle, we could hugely reduce the cost of recycling, you know, enormously. But then we've got to have perhaps this isn't going to happen by itself. We need laws and we need appropriate regulation to make that happen. Oh, okay. Okay. So what you said there, it makes sense to me and I get that. And I guess I'm kind of, I guess, a little bit disheartened that it's not happening already. You know, I mean, is that an issue with with like infrastructure in the UK? Is it that the UK doesn't have the ability to do that yet? I mean, what, what does it look like in the UK? N not at all. Not at all. And I, I you know... I, Perhaps it's a mistake to think of this as problems that nobody's thinking about. People are thinking about this. You know, again, when it comes to infrastructure, as Rob pointed out, there are a few brave players who have, you know, despite the fact that there aren't enough batteries to recycle at the moment, um, who have made a commitment to start building recycling plants in the UK. They're not up and running yet, but they will be soon. So we've got British Volt, we've got Glencore. Um, will they? Will these, you know, two or three or few people? Um, be able to recycle all of the batteries that come through? I'm not sure. Let's hope that more players enter the market and we can meet our needs in the UK for all the recycling that we need soon. Um, when it comes to regulation, you know, um, I mean, the UK has had, uh, has been very preoccupied, haven't we, in the last few years with, with the whole kind of complications of Brexit and things. But, but there is active 
um, you know, uh, consultation going on um, by regulatory agencies who are trying to build the new battery regulations for the UK. The EU has moved along. The EU has just in, in 2020 released a set of proposals where they are trying to address all of these problems with batteries regulation. And, and this is not a reason to get disheartened. So, that, so one of the reasons why regulation has is lagging behind is because you know we're working to old regulation. We're working to 2006 regulations for batteries. There were no EVs then. You know the regulation didn't need to worry about these EV challenges. Um, but now that EVs have started to come out in a big way, we need to adapt the regulation. We need to build new regulations. So the EU has already released proposals to overhaul all of the battery regulations. Um, it's not fixed yet but they have come out with some really good proposals to address these problems. Um, in the UK, of course, we are now post-Brexit, so we don't have to follow EU regulation anymore. The question is, what are we going to do now uh, within the UK? And this is an opportunity as well as a challenge because it means that we've also got a chance now to rewrite our regulations um, in a way that we can manage our batteries really well and really effectively. So the opportunity is out there. We've just got to make sure we take it. Manufacturers could do a lot to make things easier to recycle, um, but there's no incentive for them to do so. From a manufacturer's perspective, they want to get as much electricity in and out of a small and lighter box as possible in a shorter time as possible. Uh, they're, they're not really going to care about recyclability because there's very few manufacturers that are also recyclers. The recycling is someone else's problem. When they manufacture the pack, they will often weld uh, modules together, they will use adhesives which are difficult to break apart, and that makes things difficult. There's also no information describing what is inside the pack. Uh, it would be ideal uh, if we can recycle different battery chemistries separately. You don't want to mix your lithium ion phosphate with your nickel, manganese, and cobalt oxides because they they could really be do they could really do with completely separate recycling processes so that we can limit the iron contamination in the NMC and NMC contamination in uh, your lithium ion phosphate. Um, there's talk of a battery passport system, which would be really neat, and I would love that to happen as soon as possible. Having a label on the outside that describes what is inside the cells would be really helpful, but I would be pleasantly shocked if anyone tries to make uh, recycling easier unless they're made to do so by regulation. One moment, because you said something earlier that uh, my eyes lit up. You can't tell because the video is off so I can get better audio quality. Maybe, Jyoti, you've heard about this, but what is a battery passport? Because that, that, that does that, either of you, what's a battery passport? Do batteries have passports? So, so it's a sort of way of tracing you know, the journey of the battery across its lifespan. It's, it's um, a sort of certification system. So this is, this is something that's come up in the new EU proposals. It's what the EU wants to do um, in its new batteries regulation is a way of certifying a battery so that you can actually better assess the battery at the end of its life and decide what's the best way to manage this battery. It will give you important data a, about where the material has come from, you know, things that might have happened to the battery, what its current state of health might be. So it helps you manage the battery better. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Rob, in terms of the battery passport from the technical side. Being able to know that your cobalt hasn't been mined artisanally by children in a war zone is also a nice comforting fact. 
uh, traceability of where your materials came from so that you know that it's been ethically sourced. Uh, it's made up of X percent recycled material. This would all be very good, especially if producers are going to try and help consumers make a better informed choice about what is in the products that they're buying. It might not necessarily always be the cheapest thing to buy a product which was ethically produced, but some consumers might be willing to pay that little bit more to make sure that the products that they are buying are low carbon, were produced without exploiting people and other such green things you know there are products like phones you know uh, laptops you know you can very much see ethics like this is this is ethically sourced people understand that and they'll take a moment to think about because you know it's quite a big deal batteries are batteries you know i don't think about my mm. batteries i buy them bulk you know 24 at a time so i'm not going to be sitting there going oh you know which one is more ethical i don't have, really have time to think about that i know it sounds immoral when we've spoken about just how batteries are sourced but i'm talking about myself mentally as a consumer you know i might know certain thing ethically but in the in the moment i'm not gonna wait to to read about it so jyoti in terms of like legislation and making it as easy as possible for that to happen or removing the ability for people to buy um, batteries that have essentially come from, you know, exploitative, sometimes child labor. How do you make that happen? You know, you say we're working from a 2006 guideline. That's like way before I did my GCSEs. That's a really good question. And it's a really huge challenge that we face. Now, now here's the problem. You know, a lot of the material uh, that goes into making a battery, for example, um, doesn't come from within the UK. It comes from uh, uh, lots of global sources, and it can't come from the UK because obviously it relies on mining. It depends on what you you know deposits you've got in your particular area. So we can't say, oh, let's start getting our cobalt from the UK, for example. If there aren't cobalt deposits in the UK, you have to go global to get them. <clears throat> it's obviously a lot harder to regulate things in another country. It's a lot harder to keep an eye on them. Um, but but. I was just going to say, as Rob was speaking, you know, that that things like battery passports and so on, they're a very good idea. But what they also need, if we want things like that to work, is they need people to start caring a bit about this kind of stuff. You know, and I think people I think the bigger problem is that people don't know enough about what goes on. You know, I mean, batteries aren't terribly interesting, are they? You know, they're, they're not they're not you know, kind of they're just there somewhere. What we don't realize, I think, is how much of our lives as we know them are dependent on this stuff that goes into the battery. Perhaps we don't know enough about why we should care. Um, but things like battery passport are what we call softer regulation, because what they do is they don't force the manufacturer to get their stuff from good sources. Um, but they do make it more obvious and transparent to the buyer whether something is coming from. So, so it, it's up to the buyer making the right choices. So we call it soft regulation. Hard regulation would be a law that makes it, uh, that sort of outlaws, you know, um, a battery manufacturer not checking their sources, not checking what goes on there, forces them to buy responsibly sourced cobalt. Now, we don't like, we, 
the UK traditionally, we don't like hard regulation if we can avoid it. We don't want to interfere too much, you know, in the market. We don't want to make rules so hard and so difficult that that nobody wants to get into manufacturing a product. So we're trying to walk a tightrope all the time. We're trying to balance things out. But I think people have started to care a little bit about ethical sourcing, about responsible sourcing. What we would rely on is, you know, people like yourselves, perhaps to take this message out a bit more um, about why this is important and why we need to make the right choices. And then regulations like battery passports will actually start to have an effect. That's so interesting. And like, in terms of that combination of soft regulation, of a hard regulation, you know, what do you think is, what do you think the future will actually look like? I mean, and what do you hope that it will look like? What is the end goal for you in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? In terms of regulation? So I would say that um, we need really strong, what we call EPR, extended producer responsibilities to be placed on people who manufacture the batteries. So, you know, EPR uh, is a concept, it's used in lots of, you know, product, uh, used for lots of products where, where, Managing the product at the end of life is difficult. So plastics and packaging, where we're worried that a product could pollute the environment at the end of its life. And the idea of EPR basically is that the person that was responsible for manufacturing the product should also pay for it to be handled properly at the end of its life, rather than they just manufacture something, put it out on the market and leave it for somebody else to handle the problem. So extended producer responsibility makes the producer responsible for the end of life. Now, in batteries, we do have, producers do have some responsibilities. Um, you know, they, they have to show that they've, uh, for example, if I'm an EV battery manufacturer, I have, I, ha I have a responsibility to take the battery back at the end of its life. Um, so if somebody rings me up and says, I've, you know, my EV battery, no, no good any longer. It's sitting here in my garage. Come and pick it up. I have to pick it up. But you need stronger obligations than that. You need to have stronger responsibilities than that. So, so they should have some targets to show that at least a certain percentage of the batteries that they sold, they brought back into the supply chain. Um, the other thing, you know, and this is something that the EU is doing, the EU is going to make sure that the new batteries regulations don't just give you one broad uh, target, you know, saying you have to recycle 50% of your whole battery. It's going to be much more targeted regulation. So the EU is going to want battery manufacturers to show that they've recovered so much of the cobalt, so much of the lithium, so much of the nickel. We need to go down that path in the UK so that we actually recover the stuff we really want rather than the stuff that you know we don't care about much one way or the other. Okay. Um, now, uh, one of my final questions uh, for both of you is going to be, if you uh, could have listeners take one thing away from this, what would it be? But I'm not going to ask that question just yet. So um, you get time to think about it, Jyoti. Rob, on the other hand, uh, gets some more questions before we get to that point. He doesn't get the chance to think about that. So, Rob, in terms of the future now, like looking ahead, what do you reckon that the, the future of recycling realistically here in the UK will look like like is it going to be like super efficient is it going to be super good like will the uk even be the leader will it come from somewhere else around the world what's going to happen in the future rob tell me so i can place a bet on it in the future i expect that lots of countries will be 
recycling their own materials because transporting whole batteries is uh, expensive. Uh, it is less safe than uh, uh, shipping just shredded materials or just active material. So uh, I'd expect a sort of hub and spoke approach to be taken uh, throughout the country. So you'll have a hub which will do the uh, expensive, energy-intensive hydrometallurgical recycling approach. Then you'll have spokes that will have shredding and sorting or maybe disassembly. Uh, and you'll have regional sub-centers that might uh, shred a cell because transporting a shredded cell is a lot safer than transporting a whole cell. And they can transport just the relevant components to these hubs. Uh, I'd expect country the size of the UK, two, maybe three uh, large recycling facilities that will do the hydrometallurgical recycling. And these can feed these materials directly into uh, factories which are producing new batteries. Hopefully, we'll, we'll, we will no longer be exporting the materials that we need to import to make our own batteries. We're not going to be able to completely stop all imports because the recycling is never going to keep up with the fresh demand, but we can hopefully uh, reduce our reliance on some of these imports. I mean, that, that sounds, that sounds, that's a measured response. It is. Uh, yeah, that's a measured response. Okay. Um, I mean, of course, my last question, I've, I've mentioned it. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jyoti. If you could have listeners, you know, wonderful listeners who've got this far, to take one thing away from this entire conversation, what would it be? I think what I'd like people to, to perhaps think about is the reason that batteries aren't terribly interesting to us is because we are not aware of just how much of our lives is dependent on these lithium-ion batteries. Our lives as we know it would be completely different without these, you know, without our smartphones, without our laptops, without our, uh, you know, all of the devices that run on them. Um, the material to make these batteries isn't going to last forever. It's running out. We need to start thinking about, you know, sustainability and circular economy. We hear these words. Um, but if we don't start thinking along those lines, then our lives are not going to be the same. They're not going to be able to carry on as we have. And so, you know, the, the, the whole kind of move to electric cars, it's one of the biggest technology shifts of our lifetime. We have a real chance here to start thinking about doing this in a sustainable way, about, about using circular economy principles so that we can carry on doing this. Uh, you know, we shouldn't lose this opportunity. This is a time more sustainable products might cost more, but that's only, you know, because we're looking at the short term. In the long term, if we don't start to do this, our lives are going to change. Oh, wow. Um, Rob, I'm going to give you an extra second to think about your answer. Um, because one thing I didn't ask, um, Jyoti, is there anywhere in the world right now that you think that we can learn from in regards to you know, recycling? It's, it's a challenge for everybody because electric cars have come in very suddenly. We're in the middle of a transition. Transitions are never easy. They always bring challenges. Um, the, the EU has come up, like I said, with some really good proposals for new battery regulation, which can really, uh, you know, um, target some of these problems. The regulation, they haven't come into force yet. They're just proposals at the moment. 
but if it takes off, you know, there, there are some really useful things there that we in the UK um, could pick up on and carry on using. But no, everywhere is struggling with this challenge at the moment. But here's our chance. We can rewrite the regulations now um, to really achieve what we want to for a sustainable future. Oh, wow. That's so optimistic. And I'm actually really happy about that. Rob, what about you? If there's one thing you could have listeners take away from this conversation, what would it be? Actually recycle your batteries, uh, but not just your batteries, all of your e-waste. Batteries are a very good example of a common product which contains a lot of materials that we need for our high-tech society, our low-carbon economy. A lot of them are sitting in drawers. A lot of them are just are not. A lot of them are not disposed of appropriately. They shouldn't be disposed of with common household waste. Batteries should be recycled as batteries. They say on the back of them, "Don't put them in your household waste." That's for a very good reason. We need to recycle them appropriately. Some household waste will be landfilled. Some will be burnt, and it's not an appropriate way of. Uh, recycling them. You see battery bins often in a wide variety of places such as supermarkets. Take your batteries there. That's a great place for the batteries to be recycled and they can enter the recycling loop. The same applies for a lot of waste electronics. They shouldn't be disposed of with household waste and they should be disposed of appropriately uh, as waste electronics so that we can get the valuable uh, and, and rare metals out of them. All of the work that we are doing at developing these recycling processes is going to struggle if the materials don't actually get to the recycler in the first place. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. Fair enough. I like that. That is a good, that's a good solid round off point. There's personal, there's personal responsibility, but also manufacturers really needs to take note and the government also really needs to care. And we all need to make, it's everyone's problem, uh, but we also can maybe help at home. Uh, that nice little ramble at the end here is going to cut out, obviously. But thank you so much, both of you. That, I think this is it for us. Um, brilliant. That was fantastic. Oh, I have learned so much. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's all for this episode of Brought to You by Chemistry. Join us next time for the final episode where we peer into the looking glass and find out what the batteries of tomorrow could look like. It was produced by Hiran Joshi and Elizabeth Ratcliffe and presented by me, Alex Lathbridge. Thank you.